Hello and welcome to This Is Birth, the podcast. I am your host, Lindsay McGilvery, and joining me today is Emma McAnally. Emma is mum to Finlay. She is one of the strongest women you will ever meet. And I am so excited to have her on the podcast today to tell her story. So let me introduce Emma. How are you? I'm good. Well, you've just made me quite emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the, the um, strongest people. Yeah, so I'm good. <laughs> good. Yeah, I think when people hear this, they will um, fall in love with you. Because I think that's what happens when, when I have followed your page and seen your story. You are brave you're honest a super mum to to Finlay and a exciting little baby on the way that we're going to talk about but there's a lot more to your story and um we're going to delve into that today so tell me a wee bit about yourself Emma what um do you do and um tell me about how how you enjoy being a mum yeah um um so I'm a, a mental health nurse um and well, I'm, I'm a domestic abuse survivor. Um, I'm also HIV positive. Um, and I suppose the thing that I enjoy most about being a mum, oh, God. <laughs> well, you know, there are good and bad bits. There are. <laughs> um, I think, you know, for, for a long time, like, it was just Finlay and I. So I was a solo parent before I met Paul. Um and it, it was hard <laughs> but actually um I realized that it, it was like I had this responsibility for this little this little person and um like I, I'm trying I'm trying to think how to, to word this it it although it was tough be kind of that realization that like oh my god this is all on me like you know it, it was like um I, th- I think what happened was Finlay ended up in hospital uh two Christmases ago and I took him up to the hospital just to get it <clears throat> like out of hours and um I like I didn't think there was really like he was unwell but I didn't really think there was anything wrong with him anyway it ended up that his oxygen levels were really low and he had to be blue lighted to hospital and mm. I, that was like the moment that hit me like oh my god like I am completely on my own here but then you know he obviously got better and then I realized actually like I like I can do this like and it's quite empowering being yeah. a mum and and uh, I think when you when you don't have someone else to answer to as well or to get advice from um although that's daunting it's also uh, yeah again like empowering because you're thinking like I'm responsible for this little person and when and I think for me sorry I've rambled on a bit but Finlay you know has had a speech delay and you know, looking back, you know, over the years when we were in a such, you know, we were in a an abusive uh, home, and then now seeing where he is now, like, and the progress that he's made is just like the the best feeling. So I think a lo- long winded answer, but the best thing about being a mum is like watching watching your child progress and overcoming obstacles as well, and and knowing that you were a part of that and nurturing them and yeah. and seeing them grow. So he's four now and like it's just honestly the change in the last year in him, he's just become this like really confident little guy and he's so loving and he he's so playful and he's I mean he's he can be a, a wee terror at times, like they all can. But <laughs> they like, all can. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think when I think back about the times when we were on our own and really struggling because of that um, speech delay and struggling to communicate, and now like it's just the most beautiful relationship. I just oh, that's um, lovely. yeah, uh-huh. and you should be so proud because you you have done that by yeah. by yourself. I think yeah. um, from chatting about your story that we're going to today, I think people will just 
be amazed at your your strength and I think for Finlay when he's older to look back and see what you have overcame he'll be he'll just be so yeah. proud of you so I'm not yeah. trying to make you emotional but I just I just think you're incredible and I'm, I'm so <laughs> delighted to have you on to, to, to tell your story um people um that know that I do this po- podcast know me as a midwife that's what I talk about on my my born this way hypnobirthing page but a lot of people don't know that as well as doing that I also work in sexual health so for you to be so happy to talk about your um, HIV status, living with HIV, being pregnant with HIV is something yeah. that I'm so delighted to be able to, to share with people because this is a, a role that I've been doing. I thought it would be, a, well, you know what it's like in, in nursery midwifery. I, I thought it would be a six month post until I got my dream community midwife post. And I've been working in sexual health for 10 and a half years. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, how did, how, how's that happened? But I actually really love it. Um, But 10 and a half years ago when I first started that job, I could not believe the amount of stigma around HIV. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I'm 10 and a half years down the line and it is still the case. Oh my God, yeah. Uh I can't wait to break down some of those barriers and clear up the misinformation that's out there um, by speaking to someone that's living with this and and just to be able to kind of um, educate people and break that stigma down because there's absolutely no need for it and I think people are really still stuck in that kind of the adverts that came out in the 80s yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. that kind of yeah. mindset and it is definitely not like that so I'm really looking forward to exploring that with you um it couldn't have been better timing because this week is actually um national HIV testing week yeah. so I didn't even realize that when I was yeah. the <laughs> podcast I was like how smooth is that but a per- perfect time to raise awareness about it and, yeah. and get people to to chat about this um this issue because people just don't or, or they kind of shy away from it part of my role in sexual health is encouraging people to get testing and people don't know that you you don't always have symptoms which we're going to explore so let's get started and and chat about you so if it's okay with you can I ask how was it that you contracted HIV? So I contracted HIV from well Finlay's dad (laughs) so I was in a relationship with him at the time and we had been together for a year um and after about a year i became really sick it was a flu-like illness and it went on for i would say a good month like um of kind of continuous symptoms and so at that point i kind of realized that you know I, i prior to that i'd been a really healthy person like I don't I don't really and I still don't really get sick apart from maybe like the odd cold and things like that like I'm I'm generally a really fit and healthy person always have been so when I became really sick and it went on for so long you know I think my intuition just kicked in and I was thinking you know this isn't right I'm never this sick like what there must be something wrong and the year when when I had met Finlay's dad um, it was actually him that suggested that we go and get get tested for STIs, which I thought was a really sensible thing to do. And um, I, I did go and get tested, but he didn't. And of course, at the time, I was really naive and kind of thought like, well, it's fine. I'm okay. So it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, a year later, I was, you know, really sick and said to him, you know, something's wrong. Um, I'm never sick. And I had got tested for STIs a year ago and you didn't and you need to go and get tested because I think there is something wrong now at that point I never in a million years thought that it was going to be HIV but I just knew that there was something not right um and I also should mention that like um I think it was like the April so that I had contracted HIV in the so became sick in the August and we so we'd been together a year at that point so in about the April of that year so we'd been together maybe about six months he'd phoned me one night and just out of the blue had said I think I'm HIV positive and my response to him was well then go and get a test yeah um and I I don't know if he ever did or not but like obviously I only discovered that he was HIV positive when I had asked when I had become sick so Mm -hmm. Um, that is how that came about now 
you can take from that what you will, but I I still believe that he knew. Yeah, um, I believe that he, he knowingly gave me it. And yeah. that is how I got it. And, and, and it was through sex. <clears throat> and I think that is another, that's really important to say that because so there's all, I think, yeah, you're right from the kind of 80s. At that time, they didn't know how it was contracted. And um, I'm suppo- I suppose I've only recently watched it since then, but there's obviously footage in that of, um, you know, young men being kind of locked away, like isolated and people dumping their food at the door and things. like yeah. Because people thought that it was airborne at one point. People thought you could get it just through, like, contact, through, um, you know, spit. And there's still um, still people that believe that to this day, but yeah. it's actually, um, you know, there's only a, a couple of ways that you can get it, and one is through sexual contact. Yeah. And um, so that was how I it came about for me. <laughs> and I think it's, it's so good to clarify that, because yeah. in, my, in my sexual health roles, I say 10 and a half years down the line of, of doing that job, mm-hmm. I still get people mainly we probably um talk to people we're trying to convince them that they don't have it rather than they have actually had yeah a genuine risk um so mm-hmm. there's still things like can you contract hiv by sharing a towel with someone can you contract hiv by using the same cutlery someone who's hiv positive mm-hmm. and i just can't believe that that's still where people's mindsets are so the only way you can contract HIV is through unprotected um, penetrative sex with someone who's HIV positive or from sharing needles mm-hmm. with someone who's HIV positive. But even that, it's someone who's HIV positive and not on medication, which, yeah. we're, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. Now, the, the, even things like oral sex, there's no documented cases no. of HIV transmission through oral sex. No. So things like kissing, sharing towels, cutlery, all of that is not how, how it's contracted. Mm-hmm. And I think especially like from It's a Sin, when it portrays that that time frame, so many people think that this is just something that affects men who have sex with men. Yeah. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on because um I actually had seen someone had commented on one of your posts yeah. that you'd been speaking about saying but I thought people with HIV are ill and you look healthy. Yes. And you're this this young, healthy woman. So why on earth would you have HIV? Yeah. The thing is, you wouldn't know. And that's what I want to go back to about you finding out. Like, when you were that sick, did you go to your GP? Did you think it was just like a long-term flu? Or did you did you think, I think this might be sexually related? No, I never thought it was sexually related. Actually, what happened was I... I really vividly remember exactly when I started to get unwell and I was working in a call centre at the time and I was sitting at my desk. I'd just come off a call and I can't explain it. It was like I'm down with the flu, but it was it's so it was such a bizarre feeling because it wasn't like I felt like it wasn't it wasn't like flu like symptoms like I was sweating and everything. It was like a something inside that I, oh it was it was like there's something wrong with me, but I don't know what it was. And I said to my boss, like, I need to, I, I, I don't feel right. But I, I was going, this must be in my head because I, I, on the outside I feel okay, but there's something inside that's not right. So she went, do you want to go and get some fresh air? So I sat outside and got fresh air. And then um, then the next day um, was actually my first day of college. And that was when I went to do my access course to nursing. Okay. And um, so it, the next day I woke up, the first day of my, my college course to become a nurse, and I had this rash on my wrist. Um, It was like a perfectly round rash. And obviously at first you go, oh my God, is it meningitis? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I think I had done the glass test and it was fine, but I still, I felt... I, I wasn't feeling right but I felt like this is my first day I can't miss this like I pushed myself to go and I remember I got chatting to a couple of the girls and I was like oh, I woke up and I've got this really strange rash in my wrist and they were kind of googling like what it might be and they were coming up things with like ringworm and all this and and then I think by like the end of the day I really w- was starting to feel quite sick so I decided to go to the GP I think I made an emergency appointment and um I I just said to her like I I, some, I don't feel right like I feel almost like I've got a flu coming on but yeah. I, I don't know what it is and she had just said to me you know oh there's gastroenteritis going about at the moment um it's uh, 
you know, it's very, it's very contagious. So actually, I would suggest that you maybe stay off your work for a couple of days. Um, so I phoned my work and said, listen, I, I've been to the GP, she thinks I've got gastroenteritis, it's contagious. So um, she's advised I stay off and I'm like, that's fine, no bother. Um, and then, so this must have been around the Thursday and by the Saturday I was bed bound. Yeah. Um, I, I was just, my whole body was aching. Um, but um, going back to your question, the GP never, you know, never like there was no suggestion that it was anything else other than maybe like a, you know, a stomach bug. Yep. Um, did they examine you or did they talk no. about testing blood or anything? No, no, nothing like that. I think the only thing, um, I think she just told me to go home, drink loads of fluids and... Uh, and and stay off. That was it. There was no checks. No no one took like a blood test or anything like that. Because yeah, again, because why why would it? When you're a, a young healthy woman, you know, like why why would people assume that you you would, would yeah. ever have HIV? Um, yeah. So yeah, I totally see where that's coming from. But yeah. I think what a lot of people don't know is what you you had is called seroconversion that flu like illness but not everybody gets that yeah so one of the things about hiv that a lot of people don't know is that most people don't have any symptoms at all so the only way you would know for sure if you have been exposed to something like hiv or any other stis is to be tested which is why there is a big drive this week about hiv testing so when that that flu like illness um continued what happened next it went on for for weeks um and you know at one I think after about a week I thought I was getting better and I went to go back to work and I remember going to the bus stop and just feeling like really really weak and faint and I actually fainted at the bottom of my road (laughs) I remember I was like uh, like I was walking back from the bus stop and I thought I just need to make it home and I got to the bottom of the road and I passed out and it was like Saturday morning it was an early early Saturday morning I thought everyone's going to think that I've just you know I'm drunk or something. Had a great night out yeah. Yeah (laughs) I was so weak and then I got when I finally got up to the house I I think I was sick actually and but it was just like continuous symptoms for about a month like mouth ulcers um I couldn't eat anything so I lost a lot of weight um, just be- I think because of the the ulcers and feeling sick and um, being achy and uh, like feverish, um, yeah. And you know when when I did eventually go to get tested, um, and I can touch on that a bit more. But I had I remember I really vividly remember sitting in the waiting room and googling like what are the symptoms of HIV and what came up. And it was the NHS website and it said, you know, there are no symptoms of HIV, but you may have what you just uh, mentioned, seroconversion. And there was a list of symptoms that you might experience. And I ticked every single one, every single one that was listed I had experienced. And so I hadn't even had my tests at this point. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting in the waiting room, like waiting to see the the doctor or the nurse. And that that was the point that I knew I've definitely got this. And your gut feeling you knew at that point, yeah. even before they had tested you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And did they do two tests to confirm? Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, they did a fi- the finger prick test, which, which obviously tells you kind of within, um, I think it's like fifteen minutes that you've like whether you're positive or not. But then they do uh, like actual like the proper blood tests and send those away to the lab just to confirm it so I had that and and it's it's quite funny actually because um I, I have actually got a fear of getting my blood taken well I've had hypnotherapy for it okay I always had a fear of getting my blood taken and it was like long story there was an incident that happened in my early 20s that kind of caused it and I remember after that thinking like thank god I don't have to get my blood taken like ever like I'll never have to and then I think my mum would say like oh you'll probably have to get it taken when you're pregnant and I was like well that's ages away don't you think about that <laughs> and then you know so going for that blood test was really um a, 
so I've already had a traumatic experience and then I'm going to get tested for HIV and then that's traumatic as well absolutely and then um and then finding out you know you're HIV positive and you're going to have to get your blood taken every six months for the rest of your life so um it's a lot to adapt to isn't it were were you on your own when you got your diagnosis or did you have someone with you no I was on my own well it's a lot to take in did they did they put you in touch with any kind of support services or resources that you could reach out to because Mm. it's a a massive shock to be told something like that um I remember getting like leaflets and things and it was like at at that point you were kind of more closely monitored so it was like so I had gone to the Sandyford in Glasgow to get my test and then um, because I was positive then I got kind of transferred to the Brownlee which is where I receive treatment now Yeah, and they were I mean they were amazing and like I remember that, that it's kind of a bit blurry but I definitely remember being well supported by them Good. and Good. like even that they had got me to there was a guy who ran the peer support group at the time I remember chatting to him and so yeah there was loads of people there like if you needed to chat and also my specialist nurse a nurse I don't know why I said nurse there (laughs) um Claire she and I still have contact with her today she was amazing because she was meeting up with me regularly just checking and see how I was so I do feel like um yeah they maybe didn't refer me on to like any kind of organizations like Tenants Higgins Trust or things like that but they were they were there to support me and Good. the thing was as well I think they probably also thought that like well I was in I was in a relationship I was in a relationship with the person that um infected me yeah. so I think in the beginning they kind of assumed that 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 I would get support that way because obviously he had he had been diagnosed as well but the reality was very different yeah. um so and how yeah. how did you feel to be told that was it was it something that took time for you to digest was it something because you had conveyed the symptoms that you you thought oh my goodness this is what I have do you feel that your kind of your mind did catch up quite quickly no I think it's taken me it's taken me a while to actually accept it yeah um I think it you know I was obviously upset when I found out and then it was like a couple of days later when I went back to get the you know the blood test results that had been sent away and I was just like (laughs) um I need to do something about this I need to speak about this like how did I not know this could happen to me and then I thought about the you know going to the GP and her saying you know oh you've probably just got gastroenteritis and I'm thinking why did no one at that point think to to test me do you know so there had all these kind of like um questions and like uh I suppose I just I felt like I wanted to do something like I wanted to speak out and make change and and that's exactly what you are doing yeah now it was like at that point I had this like little bit of motivation but then obviously because of my circumstance at the time that was shut down really quickly and you know over the years like I've had little bits where like I had met people from um, HIV Scotland at one point and uh, on World AIDS Day they would go to the parliament and there was like a kind of a gathering and that was great to meet people through that and so you would come away feeling a little bit empowered but then obviously being in an abusive relationship that was very quickly shut down so it was like every time I thought I was maybe getting somewhere and accepting things a bit more like something would happen and then I would think oh no like I need to kind of just go back in and that includes you know negative comments that were made um you know about relating to stigma just people being totally misinformed and um so that yeah that took me a while and it wasn't so much you know the actual diagnosis it was like things like um I've never because I'm not a very sucky person I've never really taking medication so see if I've got a sore head I'm like okay well I'm either tired or I need to drink more water I'm maybe a bit stressed so I need to try and like calm down that. Some yeah. <laughs> I would never just reach automatically for paracetamol mm-hmm. so being told you've got an illness that you need to take a tablet every day for the rest of your life that was like a massive thing for me because I was thinking 
I, you know, I don't like taking tablets. Yep. Like, um, and it was scary to think like I have to rely on this to survive. So that took a while to get my head around. And um, I suppose I'm trying. There, you know, there was and the stigma. That was the biggest thing. Was, I, you know, I've always been someone who speaks really openly. Um about things and being told that you've got that and I just immediately thought like like I can't I can't tell anyone about this because they might say something negative or wrong you know that that's then going to upset me and they maybe they they maybe they might then treat me differently or they or they might not understand and and there and you know there were times like that especially you know being because I was at college at the time when this happened and it would come up in conversations not because anyone knew that I was HIV positive but it just that was just what kept coming up and some of the things that were said were absolutely disgusting and I remember one day someone saying something like oh yeah um, you need to wear goggles because you don't know someone's got HIV and I was and I challenged that and I was like no that's wrong and they were like defending it and going no it's right and I found that really distressing trying to get people to to listen and part of me just wanted to say well actually I'm HIV positive so like I know that's not that's not true and there was always that fear of if I said that then someone would then take that the wrong way and what reaction (laughs) would you get from people and Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you just wouldn't know, and I think especially being in a a relationship where there was domestic abuse, I, I'm yeah. sure mentally you felt like you were very trapped that you couldn't speak yeah. to people, um, yeah. and obviously there's there's a lot of abuse, abuse that's that's going on, but mm-hmm. I think feeling trapped and feeling very isolated and feeling that there's yeah. no other way out apart from being stuck in this relationship yeah. with this person that's that's done this to you yeah. must have been hard to then find ways to be able to talk to other people about it because it was almost just like this little bubble that you were stuck in yeah um which is is really really difficult so how soon after your diagnosis did they put you on to treatment um I didn't have to go on it straight away because they knew that I had literally just uh, contracted it so that was so when I had eventually obviously my um abuser had like found out that he he was HIV positive and this was about October um so that's when I had found out that I was positive and they can tell from your your results kind of how long you've roughly had it for and they knew from my results that I'd just contracted it and okay. obviously I knew I had I'd told them that I'd had those symptoms in the August so they, they knew that I just contracted it so they had said, you know, there's no rush to start medication because actually, all my results were kind of that they weren't they weren't scary if you want Good. to use that word. Yep. So like, how, for example, he they reckon that he had it between one and three years. Okay. So there was more of an urgency for him to start medication, whereas with me, they were like, you know, they 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 weren't as concerned about starting me on medication immediately so it was quite good in a way because it that also allowed me to get time to get my head around my diagnosis yeah, you know process it, wasn't like, it a bit yeah so it wasn't like but like, you've got this you need to do this you need to do that it was all quite um a gradual thing so um I- again people I think I don't think they realize that it's like any other virus that you've been exposed to so your yeah. body will try to fight it off so some yeah. people don't need medication right away because their immune system's working really well to keep the virus under control mm-hmm. but then it gets to a point where that might not happen for some people which is where the amazing medication is yeah. <laughs> going to come in yeah and that's how so I guess uh, there are people that will have it for so long and not know because actually you're you're still yeah you're right your immune system's still functioning all right but then it's over time that that's when it would start to get worse and you would maybe experience more kind of illness and um but for me yeah I had only I'd only just contracted it so I remember meeting with my consultant and kind of going through like there there was various types of medication and um I settled on one and I think you can take up to like three tablets a day but I kind of just I just wanted one I just wanted one a day so I decided 
what what medication I was going to take and then they had said you know like when 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 would you like to start taking it and I had said that I think I had some time off of college over the Christmas break yeah and I said I'd like to start it then because I thought if do you know it's funny because I, I remember saying like oh in case there's like any side effects or anything then um it would be good just to have that time to get to get used to taking the medication but um I didn't I don't think I actually thought or that 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 would be an issue but it, it I mean it was it wasn't a massive issue but I did experience insomnia and um kind of like nausea as well okay. I wasn't ever sick but um yeah it did take I would say about maybe a week to adjust to it properly Okay, and is it that same medication you're still on now? Yeah, yeah. Because I know some people, it can be a wee bit of trial and error to find something that they yeah. they don't react too badly to or that helps keep the, the virus well under control. Yeah. So how long have you been on that medication now then? Oh, gosh, um, about, well, yeah, six years. So I was diagnosed six years ago in October. And part of me is like, is that right? <laughs> <I'm sure laughs> Feels like a long years. time. So 2016 I was diagnosed yeah yeah um so and so I would have started my medica- medication six years ago at like at Christmas time Christmas there time. Wow. Yeah. well and tell tell people that are listening what what does that mean for you so you take one tablet a day yeah and you get your blood checked every six months but yeah. just now currently you're you're undetectable yes uh-huh so can you explain what that means for people that don't know it means that I can't pass the virus on to anyone else. So I can have um, unprotected sex. Obviously, like Paul knows my status. So, um, I, like, yeah, so he's not at risk. And it also means that I can't pass it on to baby as well. So, yep. like, Finlay, obviously, I was HIV positive when I had Finlay, and he's, he's negative. So it's pretty amazing <laughs> yeah, it is incredible I yeah. think what I've, I've seen over the last 10 and a half years is even just the advances in medication since then so even there's like um prep nowadays that people mm-hmm. can take which is a pre-exposure prophylaxis that people can take um to prevent the the risk of being exposed to HIV the medication nowadays most people who are on it it keeps the virus so low in their system that it's undetectable, which means untransmittable to other people. Yeah. So there's no risk to your partner. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's a, what a lot of people don't understand. And then the fact that you're pregnant, a lot of people are like, how, how can that be if you're yeah. HIV positive? Yeah. So I really want to go into that in a wee bit more detail. So going back to when you had Finley, so he's yes. four, is that right? Yes, he's four he's now. Four. Yeah. So do you... Did you feel that you had understanding from the staff that were looking after you during your pregnancy or was there a bit of stigma from them? Uh, yeah. So b- before I had become pregnant, um, I've mentioned my specialist nurse. Like, uh, Do you know what? The staff at the Brownlee are absolutely amazing. And um, I mentioned Claire specifically just because I remember having conversations with her about you know, I want to have children in the future and what that meant. And and basically she said, like, you can have children and you can breastfeed and you can do anything that you want. You're just as normal as anyone else. So I love her. She sounds yeah, amazing. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah, she was amazing. Um, really supportive. Like, the, the staff are brilliant there. So, obviously, when I fell pregnant, I... I wasn't worried like I had no worries about anything I just thought like I, I felt like everything was going to be normal. Princess Royal that's um they are actually a centre of excellence for treating or what I suppose what would it be treating women who are um pregnant and HIV positive or um like that so that's where it's recommended that you would go okay um for your maternity care if you're HIV positive um so I did not have any worries or concerns I thought okay well they know what they're what they're doing because that's where I'm supposed to go they they obviously have loads of knowledge about HIV and and also I knew that like um the staff at the Brownlee link up with them and they have obviously MDT meetings and things so I thought there was no 
there would be absolutely no worries about their knowledge or expertise. So the, anyway, um, I think when I had gone for my first appointment there, I had a midwife and she wasn't my assigned midwife. She like just happened to be doing the appointment that day. And um, I just remember, I'm sure she asked me at that point that, you know, how was I planning on feeding my baby? Yeah. And I said, well, I've all, I want to breastfeed. I've always wanted to breastfeed. Um, and I knew and I'd been told by the Brownlee that that would be, it would be an option, but there would be kind of extra precautions that would need to be taken if I was going to, if I chose to do that. Anyway, she was, you know, not supportive of that at all, this midwife. She didn't believe that that was right. Um, She said, like, yeah, well, it's, um, I I can't remember what her words were, but it was, you know, along the lines of, you, you know, no, like you should really be bottle feeding your baby. Do you know, like it, it was like I was being completely discouraged from even considering breastfeeding. Yeah, and I think I think when you have been given a, a diagnosis, like being told you're, you're HIV positive, I imagine the amount of reading into things <laughs> that you would have yeah. done would have been a lot. The fact yeah. that a nurse you're used to evidence based care, you're not ever yeah. going to do anything that would have put you or your baby at any risk yeah. so it's not a decision you would make lightly mm-hmm. to a get pregnant unless you knew it was safe or to breastfeed yeah. and I think feeling that you're not getting that support or feeling that somebody's yeah. got an opinion that's different to what you feel right is difficult really yeah. difficult yeah um and that had a real negative impact on me because then I was going up regularly for appointments and I'm sitting in the waiting room and there's a posters all around the waiting room saying you know breast is best and and all this and I'm thinking that's the message that's been put out there but I'm being told completely differently and I felt and and you know it's mad because there's so many there's so much in social media about um about women actually in general feeling pressured to breastfeed their baby and they maybe don't want to or you know and it should be your choice absolutely feed your baby um so it was really um, it messed with my head a lot because mm-hmm. I was thinking like you know there's women out there that don't want to breastfeed their baby but they're being told that they have to and then but I'm being told not to but then I'm seeing things saying that that's the best start for your baby and it, yeah it was just it totally messed with my head and actually you know I still I think I still live with a lot of guilt about that but I also feel now I've got the opportunity to do things in a way that I want to do this time around yeah. so I felt really um yeah I've, I've always felt really guilty about that um so that that was the first kind of situation that I came up against and you know like after that I never really had any any negative experiences during pregnancy um I then met that same I, I didn't see that midwife again until I think my final appointment before I gave birth and again I cannot remember for life me but she because I already had this kind of like um you know my guard up a, yeah. you know, a wee bit I, I I do remember that she said something else I can't remember I think it might have been about the feeding thing again okay but I, I just remember feeling you know leaving that that appointment at the end and feeling really deflated and remembering what she'd said to me the first time I met her and I thought women's got a real <laughs> issue with me because I'm a being her bonnet about this yeah it, oh. it sounds like it and I think yeah when you're you're pregnant you're you're vulnerable you're hormonal yeah. as I like to call it there's hormones yeah. there's emotions everywhere yeah. what what you need to feel is listened to and respected mm-hmm. and be given information so that you can make an informed choice about things mm-hmm. rather than somebody almost kind of belittling you or making you feel like oh we know best yeah um, and that is not what you need so I'm really excited that you have another opportunity to I know to be able to do things your way yeah was there any limitations to your options for for birth so I obviously know this but it's just so you yeah. can share it with, with other people yeah um so I think that the the British guidelines for HIV is that if you don't give birth naturally in 24 hours, then 
you need to have a C-section. However, in Glasgow, their guidelines are if you haven't given birth naturally in 12 hours, you need to have a C-section. I I don't actually know what the reason for that is. Someone had asked me the other day and I was looking into it, but I couldn't actually find a, an explanation. So I'm actually seeing my consultant next week and I'm going to ask because... I don't, I don't know why it is, but maybe you do, Lindsay. But well, it's, um, it's number one question on the list when you go in mm-hmm. because guidelines, as you know from being on Earth, it's recommendations, it's yeah. suggestions, it's it's not law. So yeah. if that's the British ones, why is it different where <laughs> your postcode yeah. is? So yeah. I, mm-hmm. I would definitely be asking that because that makes a massive difference to how yeah. your your birth experience can go. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. And uh, do you know what it had again? A, a massive impact on mine because I felt under so much pressure. Um, like I, I, I don't have anything against C sections. Like I, I believe the same with feeding. You, it's up to you what you decide to do. It's your body. It's your baby. For me, I, I guess because I've, I'm squeamish. <laughs> like you know, I'm not gonna lie about that. Um, you know, I don't like getting my blood taken. I don't I like the idea of having my body cut open. Yeah. So. I didn't want a C-section, so it was like as soon as my waters broke, um, I knew that the the countdown was on, um, and I suppose that brings me to um, when I actually went into labour because my contractions had started and I um, I phoned the hospital and they said you know come in and get checked, so I went in. And, uh, you know, first time mum doesn't know what to expect. And I'm thinking, God, I must be like really far on because this is excruciating pain. <laughs> and then got to the, you know, like triage and they checked me and they were like, you're one centimetre dilated, go home. <laughs> Brilliant. Like, Just what you want to hear. Dilated. But then the, you know, one of the healthcare assistants came over and said, um, what is your plans for um, pain relief? And I said, gas and air and a water birth. So she went away and came back. And there were, you know, there were other people in that room, you know, it's like a four bedded room, I think. And uh, she said, I've just spoken to, I, do you know what? You can maybe correct me on this. I always say charge number can't be a charge nurse because it's like the unit coordinator unit or... coordinator so she would have come back and said i've spoken to the unit coordinator and um she says that you can't have a water birth because of your because of your diagnosis and i was like excuse me <laughs> oh dear yeah because I had obviously had a you know numerous appointments with a consultant. I told them this this was my plan. They'd never said you know you can't do that because of your status. Like there was absolutely a no point where anyone had told me that that would be an issue. Um, and there's no and I just want to make it clear there's no reason for that to be an issue. No, there's absolutely not. <laughs> there, that's not like in, there's that's not a route of transmission. It's absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, I. Yeah, I was in complete disbelief and I says to her, but I've spoken to my consultant and I told her I wanted a water birth and she never said that that was an issue. And they're like, well, that's, you know, that's what the unit coordinator says, you know, because you're HIV positive and like whispered it, you can't have a water birth. So I went away home and I was just in a total fit of rage about this. So I had had a relatively like, well, no, my pregnancy had been brilliant. I'd been like even with the circumstances that I was living in at the time I had a really healthy pregnancy relaxed like I like felt so amazing in my body and my mind and then to get to that point and someone to say that to you I just went away and I was so stressed and I remember thinking that I when I went into labour I wanted to be well rested I wanted to have you know a good sleep before it and everything and I went home so it was like one in the morning and I was up to high dough I was like ranting and so angry um and I couldn't sleep I was trying to sleep but I I couldn't so by the time my waters broke like I, I, I just remember feeling exhausted and then obviously 
I was going back up to that hospital and I was ready for a fight. Yeah. So instead of being like all chilled out, like I'm, I need, I need to be in a relaxed state because I'm gonna go into, I'm gonna have this baby. I was like, yeah, really distressed and and just wanting to basically fight my corner. But um, when I got up to the hospital, um, I think the same healthcare assistant was there and she was like yes yeah, so just gas in there then and everyone was making this like you know making a point of saying just gas in there so when I eventually got into the the labor suite I had said to the midwife um I don't understand why I can't have a water birth no one's said that to me the consultant never told me and I was really upset about it and actually the midwife she was lovely and she said yeah she basically agreed with me she said I don't understand either and she said I've got friends that are HIV positive um so I totally get it like completely empathize with you um and then they you know went away and I, I was adamant that like I was going to have this water birth and um eventually you know I don't know maybe when the doctors had come in at like eight o'clock in the morning they spoke to them and they because they eventually came back and said you know we've spoken to the consultant and they've said that that's fine you can have a water birth Mm -hmm. like so um they moved me to a room with a a birthing pool Uh, (laughs) I kind of got my own back in this one a wee bit because I'd made such a fuss about having a water birth and then I was I just remember like no you know they say that you're better being on your knees but I did not feel like I can move off my back. Okay. And eventually, you know, I was like, when can I get in this pool? And they were like, well, we're just waiting on you. And I do not remember anyone saying to me, like, that's it ready for you. Like, you can get in. Maybe maybe that maybe that didn't happen. Maybe it did. And I was just totally um, in another place. But um, so I was like, okay. So, like, got up, got into this pool. And I was in it for about a minute. And I just went, get me out of here. Didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> this is awful because you know like this is the one thing that I see when people are maybe when you're talking about like labor like I always remember growing up saying to mum you know what's it like having a baby and she would always say oh you know it's, it was it was really tough but like you know at the end you've got this like little baby in your hands and you just forget all about it no one says to you it feels like you're doing a massive poo like I do <laughs> if you get to that bit and you're happy with the course I do <laughs> I was like yeah. no one told told me this is what I was gonna feel but like. you must have been quite close to to yeah. birth at that point so when I got in the pool I just felt like oh my god I'm gonna do a massive poo and everyone's gonna see it and I don't like this I don't like this yeah. feeling and also it wasn't even warm it was like totally lukewarm so not very inviting (laughs) no it wasn't it wasn't at all it was like get me the hell out of here so uh, the water birth didn't go through but it was kind of karma on their part I think because (laughs) they were like so um adamant that I wasn't going to have it in the beginning um so I didn't have I didn't have the water birth um and I actually I got to the point where it was about one o'clock in the afternoon. So my waters had broke at four, about four in the morning. Okay. And this was like one in the afternoon. And I remember the week before I went into labour, my friend, she had had, her little boy was four months old at this point, And she'd said to me like, Emma, like see the point where you think that you can't go on anymore. That is the point where you're about to give birth. And I had completely forgotten this conversation. And it was one o'clock. And I just turned to my midwife and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm exhausted. You'll you'll need to give me something. And I had said under no circumstances did I want an epidural. <laughs> I, I I really didn't want it. I didn't want a C-section. I didn't want an epidural. Yeah. And um, I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. You're going to have to give me an epidural. And she, you know, everyone was like, what? Like, this is, you said you didn't want this. This is the one thing you said you didn't want. Um. And so obviously, you know, they had like the statement you need to read. And I was like, I don't want to read it, just do it. Um, they're like, no, you need to. So you're reading it. And uh, it's quite scary because it says things like you could be paralyzed. And yeah. um, it's not just as simple as getting no. a needle into your back. There is a lot of risks with an epidural. Yeah. And it's yeah. quite a long process as well, which a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. It's not just you ask for one and you get it instantly. Um, yeah. it, it does take some time. Yeah. 
they were going, Emma, you need to sit still, you need to sit really still. And they brought like a junior doctor in, I think, or, or not a junior, uh, maybe it was a junior doctor, it was someone who was training anyway um, with the anaesthetist and they were going to get them to put the needle in. And I remember they went to put the needle in and all I could hear was, don't put it there, that's bone. <laughs> oh, jinx. How will that like, fill you with, fill you with oh, confidence? <laughs> no, so I'm obviously, I'm, well, at this point, I'm having like a massive contraction and not realising. So I can hear this going on, but I can't do anything about it because I'm just like focused on this pain. And actually what had happened was the my midwife had gone on her break at this point and another midwife had come into the room. And she said to me, um, I think they'd actually got the needle in, but they hadn't administered anything. It was like they put the needle in and then she says, Emma, are you are you getting the urge to push? And I was like, I don't know, but I feel like something's coming out of me. Yep. So she was like, when was her last check done? And no one knew. No one no one knew when I'd been checked. And I, I, and I didn't remember. Like, I don't remember being checked prior to this. So she was like, everyone out. And then she checked me and she was like, you're nine centimetres. So if she hadn't done that, I would have absolutely ended up having a C-section because yeah. I think like that would have slowed everything right down, and I yeah I would have ended up probably having to have a C-section. So I'm I'm so grateful for that woman. Like she wasn't even the midwife that was there with me like the whole time. Good. She was only there whilst my midwife went in her break, and that could have just completely changed my whole birthing experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'm. Oh my god, I'm so grateful for her. So I ended up having Finlay at like 340, uh, 3.34. Wow. So I had like 20, what, 26 minutes or something like that until they would have probably had to start considering a C-section. Wow. Um, so I was really lucky. And like, you know, at the time, I didn't realise kind of, it, it wasn't until after, I suppose, when I think back about these little things, I'm like, oh my god, like I was so lucky because that could have, all gone completely differently to what I had wanted completely I also feel like things like you know the going up to the hospital and being told you couldn't have a water birth like all that had put a lot of stress on me and I think that also changed maybe my mindset as well because I remember feeling quite chaotic and not really and almost not having control over my body and um, just I suppose like well you're fo- fo- so focused on the pain as well because for me to turn around well I want an epidural which is something that I really didn't want and then like then ask for that I feel like I just wasn't in the right headspace and I wasn't making yeah. the right decisions. Yeah. Um, Everything you're saying makes complete sense to me and yeah. um, Emma's going to be doing my, my hypnobirthing course she's not she's not yeah. it yet but when yeah. you when you watch it, it'll all make sense. So what impacts our bodies working and being able to labour is the fight or flight process kicking in. Yeah. And when adrenaline kicks in, your body thinks it's under attack. So the last thing it's going to do yeah. is let you birth a baby. It diverts all the blood and oxygen elsewhere so that you can get out of that dangerous situation. So first of all, to have a time pressure on you to be a certain stage yeah. by a certain time, your cervix does not respond to a time pressure it does what it wants to do Um, and then that that really kind of awkward moment of being told that you can't have this you have to do this is definitely a massive spanner in the works because suddenly your plan and your head that you knew you were going to use to cope has been ripped away from you so no wonder you were angry and stressed and that's not going to let your body think it's safe to birth your baby so it would just shut down but I think the fact that you managed to do it in that time, I honestly take my hat off to you. <laughs> but there was a lot of a lot of hurdles to overcome along mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. Um, that's that's why I'm I'm just so excited to be able to support you with the course because I think yeah. obviously now you've you've met Paul, you've got your your fairy tale as I like to call it, fairy tale. Yeah. You've met this lovely guy, and you're you've got a lovely little baby cooking away nicely at the moment so for you to even to prepare differently this time and doing it together and just knowing that the relationship's different going into your labour this time 
is going to be a completely different experience but you're going to have so much knowledge information tools to help you manage it that phase of labor where you lost it is normal it's called transition like your friend said so I'll even in the course I teach I'll teach Paul a, a tip to get you through that moment um but yeah everybody asks for an epidural at transition that's when it all goes out the window and you actually you don't think you can do it but yeah. speaking as a midwife that is the bit we wait for the whole labor like we're busy doing paperwork we're getting things organized and when you hit that wall where you think I can't do this anymore we go yeah. let's have a baby that is what we, we wait for yeah. so even just to to go into it differently this time and have so much tools and techniques but I think even you doing this a second time round, you will have so much more confidence because yeah. it is the second time you're doing it. But even with like the, the resistance you had from staff about feeding mm-hmm. and things like that, you will not let that happen this time. No. You will be so confident to say, well, actually, I, no, I know this and I, I know yeah. differently. But I think first time mums, I see it time and time again, you get a lot of people almost go into that environment and it's like, as if they hand their power over to someone else. Yeah. And, You've done that too much in your life, so it's not happening this yeah, time. No, so you 100%. Have yeah. <laughs> you have that power this time, and I'm so excited to look what you did the last time. You absolutely rocked your birth under a lot of pressure, so I'm, I'm really excited yeah. to hear how it all goes this time. But also just giving you some tools to stay relaxed, stay calm, and even if you do have a wobbly moment or you do feel adrenaline yeah. rise, and you'll have tools to get the calm back. Yeah. But also, Paul will have tools to support you with that as well, which I'm, yeah. I'm really excited for. So yeah. how has this pregnancy been? Oh, well, it's been a bit rough. Different. <laughs> yeah. um, so I know because I mentioned that earlier that like, even though like some circumstances when I had Finlay were totally different, but I, I had a great pregnancy. Absolutely loved every minute of it. I loved being pregnant. Um, and I would talk about this, you know, uh, after I had them, obviously before I've become pregnant this time. And I think people used to look at me like, oh, you've, like, you're lucky sod, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. because I did, I had such an amazing pregnancy. Um, yeah. I was and- one of those annoying people too. I was like, I love yeah. being pregnant. <laughs> And people are just like, no, it's horrendous. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> and I, yeah, I just remember thinking, like, but how how come there's all these people that have had like really like horrible pregnancies? Like, I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I just thought, like, I want I I want to do this again. Like, I you know, I I just loved it. And um, obviously, there was a, a time when I thought I'm never going to have any more kids again because I didn't think I was going to meet anyone ever ever again. And and that made me sad because I thought. I'm not going to get to experience that um, amazing feeling again. And um, so everything, I think, obviously everything was fine at first. I found it was pregnant and I was excited. And then probably by about week eight, um, and it was the same with Finley because I had a wee bit of nausea with him in the first tri- trimester, but nothing like serious, like nothing that was debilitating where I was off um sick or anything like that like I just I got through it but this time I just feel like I've been so unwell um so I felt really really sick uh, a bit of sickness in the beginning and then um like just you know sore heads and waking up every day feeling like I was hungover um and exhausted and then just kind of before Christmas I I still don't even know what it was but I got a cough and I had a cough I've only really just got over it um and uh, so I was off work for a, about a month or so as well um but I've just yeah I've just generally not feel, felt good. and obviously that's impacted my mood and things like that as well so, so yeah um I felt a bit lower this time around um but now I'm so I'm 21 weeks pregnant now and I definitely feel like I've kind of come out of that period and I'm starting to enjoy things a little bit better good Um, you've turned a corner yeah which is good because I thought oh this is awful like when is this gonna just just feeling generally rubbish and and myself as well just myself um and uh, like sciatica as well I never had sciatica until right at the end with Finlay 
and mm -hmm. I was getting that um, early on and um, that's not nice as uh, anyone that's had sciatical no so uh, I think I got a pregnancy pillow like a lot earlier than what I did when I had Finley um, which it's I the best investment loved. ever isn't oh, it <laughs> it's the best thing I remember that about like when, when I had Finley that was like my favourite thing was my my pregnancy pillow and my uh, my ball my, like yoga ball yeah um, so I've still to get a ball this time but uh, yeah so this pregnancy has not been as I mean I, I, do you know what I, I sound just like a total moan and I hate it because I think I'm probably not as as bad as you know some people have got really bad morning sickness but I just feel I just didn't feel as good as what I did when I had Finlay but I'm starting to feel better now so um but then also it's quite funny because when you're a when it's your first pregnancy you're kind of going into it blind and you've got absolutely no idea what's gonna what's gonna be like and what's yeah. gonna happen and I think this time around I'm, because I know and because because there were some kind of like bad experiences um I've got a little bit of more what I suppose more worry but the, like I know that actually this time around I've got better support I'm more informed uh, I've got your hypnobirthing course to yeah. do um and I feel more empowered so like and this time if, if you know when I went in for my booking in appointment and they said how are you wanting to feed your baby I was like breast yeah <laughs> breastfeeding like so yeah. I'm I'm more um sure of myself this time around Good. but Good. um so I'm I'm gonna be fine but you still have you know what it's gonna be like in that area but yeah um I, I think I even when you've done it before it is still the unknown because it's a different pregnancy it's a different yeah. baby you don't know how it's going to go and I think yeah. that's the one thing about birth it is it's unpredictable but yeah. that's why I feel like that's why I do I do like birth education is so important yeah. because what what my course does is prepares you for every possible eventuality yeah. the plot twists all those little hurdles that you think oh I didn't even know that was a thing um so yeah. like then you can decide yeah I'm happy for this or no actually I don't want this this is the plan I want to do and then no matter what way it's, it's giving you that sense of control back which a lot of yeah. people feel is lost in pregnancy and birth but no yeah. absolutely you're the boss of your birth and I know you're absolutely going to rock it and yeah. I can't I can't wait to hear how it goes because I think it'll <laughs> be amazing so I, I just hope that the, the rest of your pregnancy is a bit easier the yeah. relaxation and things you'll get access to will really help with your mindset and just get you feeling excited about meeting your your gorgeous wee baby I know you're yeah. getting regular scans and things so that really helps yeah. with bonding and it's a, it's a nice perk to be able to get get extra scans a lot of people think, yeah. oh, I only get these two scans so it's nice to be able to have those regular checks and that yes. that just fills you with confidence that everything's going the way it should be as well yep yeah that's exciting so have you changed where you're having your baby this time no I've not and do you know what I'm talking about um moving hospitals uh -huh. um and then part of me is like, why is everyone, why, why does no one want to go to the Royal? But um, I think for me, I've, oh, I've got this fear, like if I did go to a different hospital, even though I know I had, you know, the, there were a couple of, you know, bad things that happened, I still feel like they know more about maybe HIV than maybe somewhere else would that's not, yeah. um, like in a, they have that knowledge and they're supposed to have the well they're supposed to have the knowledge and supposed to have the skills um which they I do believe they do it's just there's obviously a couple it's not um as informed but um and actually I had spoke about that with the midwife just when I'd gone up recently and they had said you know um yes that's true we are saying things like that there's you know the SNPs team they specialize in that whereas when you've gone into labor there's probably been people that maybe don't have that training, um, which is disappointing. But um, yeah. but I just feel like if I went, yeah, I've got this fear that actually no one would have the knowledge. And yeah, but it's starting from scratch again. Yeah, so I I think just to stay where I am. And um, although when I see I seen uh, one of the hospitals recently, and it's they've got beautiful birthing rooms and they've got like the the galaxy light of, and in them and everything. Yeah, I'd, I'd shared something yeah. about Paisley having invested Yes. 
some new lights, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it looks really inviting. Like yeah, I thought, but, well, but you can do that. And that's what, so when you do your hypnobirthing course, you'll see that, that you're in it's four it's four walls at the end of the day where you birth your yeah. baby. But the most important thing is you feel safe where you're birthing your baby. Yeah. And I think that this time round, even support wise is going to be completely different. You're yeah. you're going to feel safe before you even enter enter the room but yeah. you can do whatever you want it's your room you can put led lights you can have nice yeah. smells you can have music like it's your space you can yeah. transform it to be whatever you want it to be yeah. um and it it's i think a lot of people don't know you can change your minds about where you birth but i think it comes back to where do i feel that i'll be i'll be supported in the best way so i, I think yeah. it sounds like a, a great plan um yeah. So I just want to wish you all the best for the rest of your pregnancy. Obviously, you know, you can reach out if you, you need anything. So yeah. to end the, the podcast, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Yes. So I want to ask, what is the, the one piece of advice that you would give to a new mum? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, I think I would say, because for me, I didn't actually have a birthing plan like in place. It wasn't like set in stone. I remember thinking like there were things I didn't want to do like I've spoke about I didn't want an epidural I didn't want a c-section but I kind of went I did also go into it with an open mind like you know like I, I don't know how this is going to go so just prepare for anything um so I would I would say that that like don't get fixed on this is what I want like I want this is how I want it exactly to go because you just like you said you just don't know like yes. what's going to happen so don't I, I would say don't don't get too fixed on um a birthing plan like just maybe tri- like go with the flow but also um you know from my experience like I didn't feel empowered to kind of speak up for myself and and take control and I think like that's really important you were saying that as well that um you know it's your body at the end of the day and like you know no one else can uh no one else can make decisions for you and um make don't let anyone pressure you into doing something that you don't want to do I love that and what is the best piece of advice that you have been given as a mum um (laughs) oh wow best piece of advice um oh well do you know what like there were so many times where I would be worrying about um this work needing done and like all the things that needed done and I wasn't just like enjoying spending with Finley and I remember I would get stressed about things and be like well do you know what just you need to let it go and just enjoy this because you're not going to get these moments back. And I think that probably, well, like, I maybe didn't listen to it all the time, but everyone always used to say that to me, like, you don't get this time back and it goes so quickly. And that is, it's so true that... Yeah, because I now agree. Because <laughs> Yeah, you, so, you're, you're never in the moment. You're always thinking about, yeah. oh, you're going to order that and you're going to pick that up and you get the dinner yeah. on. There's always something. And then before you know it, you blink and they're big, like... That's like mine, my, my wee girls in P2, my wee boys in P4. And I, I look at them sleeping sometimes and think, yeah. how are you that size? How um, did that happen? Because <laughs> it, it does so go true. so, so fast. It really I does. I want to cherish every wee moment. But yeah. I think that you've got lots of exciting things coming up with a new baby. I'm sure you'll be an amazing yeah. big brother and get involved. Yeah. I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on, Emma. I really appreciate yeah. it. And just for being so open and honest and sharing so much information about... Um, having HIV and and your pregnancy stories and I'm really looking forward to to supporting you in the rest of your pregnancy um so thank you so much I am tune in next time there will be another podcast coming out in a couple of weeks so please tune in then and thank you everybody for listening